Joe Senek is a speaker, mental health counselor, business consultant, and podcaster. He has a number one podcast for counselors, The Practice of the Practice Podcast. And he's interviewed people like Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, Chris Ducker, Rob Bell, Glendon Doyle, Melton, and Lewis Howes. Joe is a writer on Psych Central, and he's been featured on Huffington Post, Forbes, Good Magazine, Reader's Digest, Bustle, and Yahoo News. He's a keynote speaker and author of five books. I really enjoyed this podcast interview with Joe, and we are very much aligned in our perspectives. He is very in line with the Inipi ethos, and I'm extremely excited about sharing this podcast with you. This is an EP Radio, a space for authentic conversations around indigenous wisdom, politics, and consciousness as we forge a path towards a more peaceful and harmonious world. I hope your experience here serves as a source of depth, liberation, and joy in your life. We're going to have a, a different kind of conversation today, and as always, one that's very personal, one that uh, talks about consciousness and about deliberate lifestyles, and I know that Joe's living a very deliberate lifestyle and a very interesting one. He's had a great journey, and I'm excited to get into that with you today, so let's dive in. Thanks, Joe, for being on the show. Jared, thanks so much for having me. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit just on the beginning about your practice, your, your vocation. Uh, you have uh, an organization called Practice to Practice. Give us a little bit about what that's about. Yeah. So Practice of the Practice, I help small businesses to get bigger. And that's mostly counselors in private practice. That's also what I do. I own a counseling private practice called Mental Wellness Counseling in Traverse City, Michigan, where we help angry kids, frustrated parents, and distant couples. Uh, I also do some blogging and some podcasting to help counselors continue to grow their practices. Beautiful. How did you tell us a little bit about your journey and how that came together? Yeah. So for a long time, right out of grad school, I worked for agencies, nonprofits, foster care, community mental health, kind of your traditional journey as a therapist. Uh, I then got a job at a community college where I was working 40 hours a week. It was going awesome. It was a beautiful job, uh, kind of top in the market. And I started this counseling private practice on the side um, just to really pay off student loan debt and to maybe have a vacation fund. And it started to really, really grow. And then I added another clinician and another one. And so I'm at my full-time job and I start making more when I'm like not at my full-time job than when I'm there. And there was just this point where I could see that I needed to kind of look at what I wanted out of life. And then 2012 hit and it was just one of those terrible years for our family. Uh, my, my mom had just had colon cancer and then my daughter who right before her first birthday, she had open heart surgery. And after that open heart surgery, we meet with the doctor, everything's going awesome. And they say like, you're good. We get the sense of relief. And two weeks later I get diagnosed with thyroid cancer. So we jump right back in the whole like medical world and there was this moment when I was uh, in Texas and my wife was sick. Uh, she was supposed to be my support there with my daughter. And so this is the first day of kind of cancer appointments. And 
I go into this area where it, you're supposed to get your blood test and it's just overwhelming. Everyone, it's like, turn in your green form, turn in your green form, sir, have you turned in your green form? And it's just like, it was overwhelming with just everything that was going on. And I sat down and I thought to myself, okay, so you're a therapist. Like, what would you tell your clients to do? And I'd be like, okay, I'd tell them to take deep breaths because when you're flooded like this, like you can't think straight. You got to get some oxygen into your brain. I'd say fake it till you make it because oftentimes our emotions follow our behaviors, even though it doesn't feel like it should happen that way. And I would say find some gratitude in the situation. So I took a deep breath. I had this fake smile on my face and I thought to myself, okay, my daughter just had open heart surgery. Everything went great with that. I... I have insurance that covers this, this place in Texas and I have enough saved up that if, you know, I have big medical bills, I, I don't have to have like host a spaghetti dinner. And then this guy walks in that he's missing a jaw and this couple walks in and they're holding hands and they don't know which one has cancer. And it, I just had this realization that like I have like one of the most treatable forms of cancer in the world. And I realized in that moment and in the months afterward that I've got to shift things that even though I love my job at the community college that I have to really look at what, what do I want to get out of life? You know, I had a one year old, we wanted to have more kids. Like what was going to be that next step for me? And that's when I really looked into growing practice of the practice, uh, into something that could sustain the kind of lifestyle I wanted to live, uh, of being a strong father, strong husband, strong community member. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, you've had a, a heck of a journey. And I, I understand your kind of positioning yourself in your, in, in your vocation and, and the kind of the things that you are doing as a, as a husband and wife around your children and around the influence of your children. I mean, my wife and I, you know, we, we spent 10 years living in East Africa and we, mm. we, the last leg of that was in Nairobi the last couple of years during a very tumultuous time, even for Nairobi. Uh, and it's, it's continued to kind of escalate, escalate from there. The, I, I realized that's at a point with our little daughter, you know, four years old, she was two at the time and thinking about, you know, and our son who was 20 at the time and thinking, what energy am I bringing home every day? What mm -hmm. environment are they exposed to every day? Is this, you know, and we know that our children are so much more influenced by watching how we navigate life than the beautiful speeches we put together for them you know, <laughs> right, about, right, about yeah. how to live. <laughs> so they're going to follow our example um, and they're going to experience the energy that we bring into the room. You know, with me being in a human rights, you know, in, in Nairobi in the middle of terrorist attacks and whatever, you can imagine the energy I was bringing home. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting always for me to hear you know, consequently, by the way, we moved to Costa Rica for a year yeah. and a half and got some healing and yeah. and did a lot of yoga and meditating and, and just kind of realigning ourselves as a family and also kind of reevaluating what we want for our next steps and to be very deliberate about that. And it sounds well, like think, you've done a lot of that. Yeah. Well, I think what happens is we think we have to go to Africa to make the change, which is, people are needed there. Like definitely there's people that are yeah. called to go there. Uh, but we live in such a connected society that we can now do things from the States and sometimes, sometimes even be more effective here being able to work on those issues. Our very first trip as a married couple, uh, was we went to Haiti. And so we, we didn't go on a big honeymoon. Um, we just went to Colorado for a little bit and hung out there. And then 
um, my family's been really connected with a medical mission down there and I had started my, started a microfinance project. So we go down to Haiti and my wife has, she's only been to like the Cayman islands in Canada before this. So it's right when things just like hit the fan, like the UN has taken over Port-au-Prince, there's gunshots at night. We literally have to like run into this Jeep and like she and my sister have to kind of hide because there were so many kidnappings of young women happening at the time. And so like as a couple, like when you've like experienced how the majority of the world has to live in just poverty and just clean water is a gift, it's so it's so much easier to say, you know what, like I have to have a global perspective, even if my business is thriving. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it's just a, it's an, you know, it's an ongoing thing too. I think so many people kind of set a trajectory in their life and they say, okay, this is what we're going to do forever. This is what, this is how we are. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, (laughs) you know, that doesn't serve us very well, especially in an age when we're living in hyperspeed, everything's intensified, Mm -hmm. we're living fast and, and, and moving quickly through life, you know, and experiences. And I think that we have more information coming at us than ever before. We're trying to process that information. Anyway, I, I, I think that part of living in a, in a, de- a deliberate lifestyle is also living one that's very adaptive and, and being aware and looking at what's going on around us and what might serve us best and so on. So it's in, in, in light of awareness and the importance of awareness, I, re- I recognize that you have a uh, keynote called Slow Down mm-hmm. and uh, the three phases of slowing down to spark innovation. I am very interested in that discussion of slowing down. And one of the things uh, in my mantras, my nightly mantras and even morning mantras is in this stillness, I am. And to recognize that I am connected with my highest self. I am (laughs) all, you know, kind of all that I can be in this moment of stillness. And I can't connect with that in the absence of stillness and slowing down. And in, in the fact that we live in this hyper speed kind of lifestyle, I'm very interested in that kind of discussion. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So it really came out of when I was working at the community college and starting to launch my private practice and then also practice of the practice that it was that kind of bootstrapping hustle phase that many businesses go through where my wife was staying home with the kids and she didn't know when kind of work mode was on and when work work mode was off because on the weekend, I was so excited about what I was doing with Practice of the Practice. I'd be doing podcasts during nap time. I'd be uh, writing blog posts. I'd be like, oh, we could do this, or we could launch this product, or we could help people this way. And she's just like, I need a break from your business mind. <laughs> I need like my <laughs> husband back for a little bit, yeah. which is when you find your passion, it's really hard because you love it. Like You want to do it. You want to do interviews that are compelling and engaging, and it doesn't feel like work. But she really kind of said, I need to know when I have like daddy and husband Joe here and when I have business Joe, because if I just know that, then I'll be like, yeah, let's brainstorm. So we started to set up some boundaries um, around kind of what the weekends would look like. And at first it started with just on Saturday that we would have uh, like no business, social media. I wouldn't check email. Um, The only thing I could do is if I was like mowing the lawn, I could listen to a podcast. But Other than that, like it was no business thinking kind of time. And then I liked it so much that we extended it to Sunday afternoon. Uh, And then a couple summers ago, I started taking Fridays off to just see if I could make that work. So it extended to like Friday afternoon. And then last summer, um, I started taking Mondays off to see if I could make that happen. And so now we have like a three and a half, four day weekend together where on each end of that, I do a little bit of emailing, but really for the most part, 
Like it's a genuine like regrouping as a family with our friends. And what happened through that is I really started to notice these three stages that when you intentionally slow down that you go through. So the first stage is there's this like purge stage where like I'll say go to the bathroom and grab my phone as we all do. And I go to like check my email if I'm going to be sitting there for a while. (laughs) And I'm like, wait a second. Like today is Saturday. You're not going to check your email. So these compulsive habits we have of going onto Facebook, going onto Twitter, doing all these things that help our businesses or even are just socially. There's like this purging phase that you have to get that behavior out each weekend or each time that you take this digital Sabbath. What then kind of I move into is then I noticed that I had to set up some very clear practices. Uh, And so there's this purging and then practices. So that might look like I'm going to schedule things with my two-year-old and five-year-old where we're going to go to the children's museum. We're going to go on a hike. We're going to do something that sets a boundary around this time so that I don't want to get sucked back into work mode. I don't want to get sucked back into being um, you know, productive. And then what naturally happens after that practice is that we fall into presence, that you know, you're on that hike with your kids and you're genuinely there. And, and it's one of these things that it's almost like every day you have to do some of these habits where you say, what am I going to get done today? And what am I going to say is enough? And then on a weekly basis, but then even on a quarterly or annual basis to say, how do I purge out the things that I don't want in my life, have some practices that support that, and then naturally you're going to move into that presence. Absolutely. One of the things that my wife and I've done a lot lately is to just focus on making space and, and realizing that, you know, we have this emotional clutter that we get in, in addition to, you know, a clutter around the house. Now we're minimalist and very transient, but, uh, we, we, you know, we carry things with us in our minds and we, and we, and, and so on. And we, I, we've been very diligent about kind of taking some of these things in our life that just sort of creep in, you know, it's sort of subconsciously, and then saying, wait a minute, does that really belong here? Is that something that really serves me or serves our family well? And one of the things I did, being a political activist in, in the, the era of Trump in America, can keep a man pretty busy. <laughs> so I have had to be very deliberate about pulling back from, uh, during the election process for, for the three months kind of of the, the pinnacle of all of that, <laughs> right, right up until November, I backed out of Facebook completely, 100%. Got off Facebook, didn't open it up. Uh, and it was interesting, you like, you like what you're talking about, like coming in and immediately sitting down to my laptop and saying, okay, well, I'm going to check the news real quick. And I usually only allow for about five or 10 minutes of that, honestly. Uh, and then I would jump into Facebook real quick and say, okay, five or 10 minutes, you know, and an hour later, <laughs> you, know, you get off of Facebook. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, what, had you, what just happened? I went down the vortex so I just eliminated that stuff. And at the same time, we actually went out to a cabin and stayed uh, for a couple of months and there was no internet there. So I would go in and kind of check my emails. You know, if I'd hold my phone up at just the right <laughs> angle, I could get an email, uh, you know, for business purposes. But that was about it. That time was kind of that purge where it allowed us to kind of release some of those subconscious habits so that we could create better habits. And it's so interesting you know, to think about what happens in the room you know, we have no cell phones at the dinner table rule, and we've had that for a while. But uh, and, and no, no working on Sundays. You know, we keep that, keep the Sabbath holy, and we do it in our own way. And it usually involves a lot of time hanging out outside and just being with family and not having a lot of tech. But 
it's it, what it's amazing what happens when you don't have the cell phone in the room. You know, Simon Sinek talks about like not having cell phones, uh, you know, in the boardroom when you're having meetings and things like that. I love that. That's beautiful because you start talking. You know, we don't have those uncomfortable silent moments that we think we should start saying something and then you engage in a conversation that becomes really beautiful. We don't have we've eliminated that opportunity now because of the constant looking at the cell phone. So well, I, I, think I think that think making that space is very important. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you feel like, well, to be an informed citizen, I have to know the news. Or to be informed in as a business person, I have to be following Twitter. But then it gets in the way of those relationships that actually oftentimes will help your career, will help your quality of life and your overall happiness. Uh, and it's interesting because you said you know that clutter sits there. I, I often say that the busyness of life kind of sits on our great ideas. And so we slow down, but then those sparks of innovation often are the things that then come after that slowdown, that when you're at your busiest, when you're checking email, when you're overwhelmed, when you're flooded, that's not when your good ideas come. Uh, and so then it's like we shift into, well, how do the best aha moments come? Well, it's usually when you know well enough what's happening already. So you look at best practices, the best ideas, the best gadgets, whatever your industry is, and then you dream about what could be. And that step of what is and what could be, the what could be oftentimes isn't just some brand new idea. It's linking together seemingly separate ideas together into something new. And so those aha moments only happen after you slow down, but then also you have to be informed of what currently is. And if you're not focusing in on what is and you're just you know on Facebook and kind of all over the place, it's not as focused and you're not going to have as many of those aha moments. No, we have this constant inundation of information and stuff happening and, you know, and the sensationalism of the media and so on. And it's constantly inundating in our minds. And I don't think it gives us room to properly process, you know, what information we have received and then to be able to, you know, translate that into some sort of action or some sort of, you know, new perspective enhancement or something like that. And we just get all this chaos going on. And I think some of that is deliberate, but we're, we have the opportunity to, tap the brakes. And I think, you know, even I've run creative agencies and been a creative director and and done a lot of the creative stuff for most of my life and and continue to do so. And one of the things I've talked about a lot is we have to make room for creativity. If we don't eliminate some of this outside, you know, information or, or, or chaos kind of coming into our lives by way of a cell phone that we pull out of our pocket and hold in our hand and put in our face, usually between us and someone else. Like if we don't get really deliberate about that, about not letting that master our lives, I I think we we lose out on lots of opportunities. We lose out on connecting dots from what what you said, from kind of these seemingly um, incongruent items in our lives. And we have all these things that are just kind of floating out there. And when we take the time to step back, without this constant inundation of information, I think we, that's when we have the ability to, again, like you said, to start to line those things up and say, oh, wow, there's this amazing synergy there that I never would have noticed before because we made space for creativity. We made space to allow these things that are already in our minds to sort of align as where they didn't have the opportunity to do so before. Well, and I mean, everything you're saying lines up with what the best brain research is telling us right now. There is this study that looked at vigilance decrements. So vigilance decrement, vigilance is how much you can pay attention to something. Decrement meaning breaking down over time. So vigilance decrement. And what they did is they took different people from this research study and they had them sit at a computer and they gave them a four digit number. So say it was four, two, seven, one. 
And they said every time that number comes up on the screen, you need to hit the enter bar uh, or, or hit return. And so these random four digit numbers would come up and every time that that number 4271 came up or whatever their four digit number was, they were supposed to hit enter. Well, as you would guess, if you sit there for half an hour, you're gonna start to like zone out, you're gonna stop paying attention as much. And they watched that this decrement happened, that this vigilance decrement happened over time. Now, something they did that was really interesting was about 15 minutes in, no, it was 10 minutes into the study, they took one group and they said, I'm sorry, we put you in the wrong spot. This isn't the computer you're supposed to be at. Can you just go sit in the lobby for a second while we get this other computer set up for you? That person literally went and sat for one minute. They sat and they read a magazine and then they went and did 10 more minutes at a different computer. Then after 10 minutes there, they said, you know what, actually that original computer we had you at, that's the one that you were supposed to be on. I'm sorry, again, just have a seat in the lobby while we get it set up. They had them sit for one minute and then they put them back on the original computer. And they found that in each of those 10-minute segments, they did significantly better than the people that sat there for half an hour uh, because they had this interruption to kind of regroup for one minute. And I think that happens often with our phones, with our screens, our email, our work life, our family life, where we don't take that time to have natural breaks to just let our brains kind of rest for a minute so they can be more fully present during the times that we need to be fully present. Absolutely. I think w one thing in the the road to living a deliberate lifestyle you know meaningful and fulfilling and and so on is that we have and especially i think this is maybe even exacerbated with the entrepreneurial spirit <laughs> you know when you when you want to do something different and, and so on we have this tendency to think i've got to always be doing and when i say we i'm saying the proverbial we meaning i <laughs> i know that i have that tendency to think you know, I've always got to be doing something. I've got to be multitasking and so on and so on. You know, and I've stepped down off that horse quite a bit over the last few years in the, in the multitasking scenario, uh, just because I realized that it was making me less effective, not more effective. And now that I've weeded some of that stuff out and really honed in on the things that I really want to pay attention to and give love, you know, uh, I found that those things are blooming into things that I don't think that ever would have gotten to that level had I not made that decision to step back. And it's interesting, I work and it sounds like with your work week, and I love the way that you've put that together and having kind of almost a four day weekend, my wife and I have talked a lot about that and, and doing Fridays or Mondays and, and so on off. And sometimes we do Mondays off. And I, I think that that, you know, uh, the, that's very congruent with what I've done in, in my life in eliminating some of that multitasking eliminating the feeling of always having to do this or that, incorporating more aspects of joy, more time of doing nothing, meaning, you know, you know, whether I'm meditating or just walking around outside with my kids and experiencing greenery and blue sky and so on. Those kind of things have made me way more productive than I ever was mm -hmm. when I was multitasking and working 24-7. Totally. And, and, and I mean, it sounds, you know, we can make a cool argument for it or whatever, but like when you start doing it, it's just like, wow, this, it, it seems too easy, too simple, you know, uh, but it works. Well, I think what happens is you have, you know, great business leaders like Gary Vaynerchuk or, mm -hmm. um, or other, so many other people that talk about like the hustle and you, you know, Warren Buffett talks about how, you know, he really recognizes the tortoise over the hair. Um, so these people that you hear, they're just like, just keep doing, keep plugging away. But for me, when I think about our best ideas, it's more in those sprints that it's like you have a focused sprint for a period of time and then you have focused rest. And so 
you know, not many people would say they disagree with Warren Buffett, but I think that the hair had it right. He just didn't like set a timer on his phone when he should have woke up from his nap and finished the race. Like, like sprint, get that stuff done and then retreat and then sprint and retreat versus this like nonstop motion forward. The other side of it, I think, is that we oftentimes, um, I think have this fear mentality, like we just don't have enough. And so when you have a basic unsettledness inside of you that you don't have enough, that's going to force you to want to work more. It's going to force you to, instead of saying, what are the big ideas that I should go after? It's going to be, well, we had a down month. Oh my gosh, we have to get the numbers up or, oh my gosh, we had a down month. And like our family is going to go, we're going to tank. We're going to be homeless. Like we get in these mental tailspins that really aren't accurate usually. Uh, I mean, of course there's a couple of situations when people may be you know, forced into homelessness, but for the most part, most of us have some friends and family members that would bail us out if we were in a really sticky situation. So if we can go to the core of you have enough already, you know, just our clean water in the United States, your toilet water is cleaner than most of the world's water. Uh, so you have enough. Um, so once you start to address that core issue, I think that compulsion to kind of have that nonstop work is easier to address. And then you can shift into how do I want to use my time? And so what if I had to do personally over the last several years to get down to three, three and a half days a week? Well, I had to set up systems that make it easier for me to step away from the work that I do while still being able to make the income that I choose to make. So I've had to have virtual assistants. I've had to outsource things. I've had to set up computerized systems to make things easier so that it's not based on me doing it. It's not like you can just usually say, okay, I'm going to just work three days and have nothing happen to my profits uh, from a business perspective. Instead, you've got to say, how do I use my time really wisely so that the things that only I can do are the things I'm doing and the rest I have people support me in that, oftentimes at a lower price point than what you can charge per hour. Indeed. Well, I, a lot of what we're talking about here in this deliberate kind of lifestyle and having enough, uh, we have to always come back and, and you know, you're looking at, okay, how do, how do I want to spend my time? What do I want to do with my time? Uh, what kind of lifestyle do I want to live? And I want to be deliberate about that. I want to make space and so on. You start to get into that discussion then of awareness, of mm -hmm. gratitude that only can come really from awareness, I think. Uh, real authentic gratitude. Uh, and then we get into the discussion of consciousness. And that's yeah, obviously a, a, a hot topic here on NEP Radio. And I'm interested to hear from you, knowing now that how deliberate of a lifestyle that you are living and some of the balance that you've found along the way and some of the practices that you've got. Let's get into that a little bit in, in terms of, well, let's, let's start with consciousness. That means a lot of things to a lot of people. People perceive that in a lot of different ways. And, and I think most people can kind of agree that it means waking up to something. Describe what that means to you. Yeah. So I think for me, that idea of waking up uh, has always been kind of an ongoing process. So I was raised Catholic and didn't really appreciate that tradition when I was in it as a kid. Um, now, you know, there's some great kind of aspects to that. And so for me, waking up was really, it was interesting. In high school, I had a kind of evangelical experience, became an evangelical, went off to, you know, college and was told everyone they should stop drinking and swearing. And like, so that it, I had that kind of waking up. But then, and in th for me, that made my personal faith come alive for a bit. Uh, and then there was another reevaluation. I started um, going to this church called Mars Hill. There was this guy, Rob Bell, that was teaching there that really helped me wake up in a different way to see kind of the Jewish origins of faith and to uh, start to see a lot that I had been handed through this kind of 
evangelical approach to spirituality um, wasn't universally agreed upon. And so there was many different kind of ways that people viewed even the Gospels. Like if you look at them, um, there's some great authors that look at it as a liturgy that it was meant to be in the Midrashic tradition, which was meant to make greater points than what the actual literal text said. Um, And so I had this waking up then of, wait, so this thing that I thought was like black and white, like God said it, it was written down and we do it. Um, There's actually a lot of kind of discussion around that. And then as I kind of grew in exploration, I was a comparative religion major in undergrad and psychology. So I always had kind of leanings towards wanting to understand what other people say. Um, But I went and I, I went to Nepal and studied at a Buddhist monastery for a little bit, Uh, went to Thailand. Um, My wife and I went to Machu Picchu. And so we really have sought to have these kind of ongoing spiritual awakenings for ourselves. And I think when you view it as like a test, like most of the United States is taught that everything's kind of a test. You pass, fail, you know, you get your degree, you move on. To me, spiritual awakening is less of a test and it's more of that you just grow up in different ways. That doesn't mean that my version is like the grown up version and your, you know, version is less grown up, but it means that you know, over time you see how your past starts to integrate into what you are now. And so that ongoing awakening for me uh, is more of a process Uh, of consciousness that like I I discover as I go. uh, And there's certain things that help, you know, foster that, that help you grow that. But I think that that's, that's how I would in a really long winded way say what I think Mm -hmm. consciousness is. (laughs) I don't think there's a short winded way to to, to say what consciousness actually is anyway. Yeah. It's good. This isn't like a five minute podcast because (laughs) (laughs) that's why we tend to run long. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's head and stuff. And I, I like the, I love the, well, first of all, I'm a big stat earlier. And yeah. I, I, I think that his books took me on, and even the the videos, uh, Numa, which I was blown away by when I was younger, mm-hmm. and and even still they're pretty impressive looking back. That he was taking these very complicated discussions. Um, I think a lot of them having to do with discipleship and kind of the rabbinical aspects of uh, or, or or side of the Jesus discussion, and. That was intriguing to me. I love the idea of the rabbi and the disciple and, and kind of like looking at this example and saying, I'm going to take up that person's yoke and th- their way mm-hmm. of doing things. Not the book of rules and regulations necessarily as much as it is their way. And I, I love the way of Jesus. I love the way, you know, when, even uh, I've studied Bushido, uh, the, which is the, you know, the, the way of the samurai. The, the Hagakure is the book there. And it's it doesn't talk about rules and regulations and dogma and judgment. and th- It talks about the way in which they live. So I've always been drawn to the way. And I think that Rob has done an excellent job of articulating a way of living and taking some of these very complicated discussions, boiling them down to the essence, and then articulating them very poetically and beautifully and creative, creatively and very stylishly, I might add as well. And I, I think oh, yeah. that's appealing to the people that need to hear that message as well. A lot of people that have kind of pushed out the Jesus message because they've packaged it with the dogma and judgment and whatnot of Christianity. I'm generalizing, but, uh, and they, and they sort of threw out the baby with the bathwater, you know, and, and, and I think that there's something so beautiful there. And Rob really, I think with, with Love Wins, uh, that was one that kind of liberated me and let me 
kind of it released me of some of the the feelings of obligation even to my Christian faith before and sort of opened up this new realm of true relationship and understanding of the ways of Christ, which then opened up all kinds of other opportunities. And I feel like now I have, I see the world uh, and our human existence as being so much more vast and, and extraordinary <laughs> than I ever did before. And, and even the concept of God, which we another another thing that we can get into as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like a couple of years ago when our two-year-old was born, um, both my wife and I were on the leadership team at a church. I was leading worship. And, um, you know, when she was born, it was just from a timing standpoint, really tough to make it on Sunday. And like our, our then three-year-old was like missing naps. And it was just like, it was way more work than it was worth. And we just weren't getting anything out of it. So we, we said, let's just take a little break. And that break became, I mean, it's still a break, but we went through a lot of phases of kind of saying, well, now we feel really guilty. Like, like we should be back at this church. And then we're like, why do we feel such relief by not being there? What are, what is our spiritual direction here? And it forced us in a really interesting way to have to say, well, what is the role of church for our family? And what are we getting outside of church that taps into that? And so we have some friends that almost every weekend they come over and we make dinner together. We play board games. We drink wine together. We talk theology. We talk politics. We talk life. And that's way more church than popping in and saying hi to someone for two minutes, sitting in the same room with them and kind of consuming and then having five minutes at the end to say bye and then leaving and so for us, that shift led to then having to confront, well, then what do we believe if we're moving away from this kind of establishment? Yep. And so for me, uh, I was like, well, I know what I don't believe. I know what I you know, feel like is often harmful within religious institutions, but that, that's not real helpful if someone says, well, Joe, what do you actually believe now? And I started thinking about how we know that there's this natural pulse or hum or vibration in the universe. And uh, so to me, hum, because we're a musical family, like it's just like, I, I like that word. Um, so when whenever we experience this hum, it seems like, you know, it's oftentimes when we feel a connection with other people. And so we might be at a Coldplay concert and singing along with everybody to a song we love, or it might be at a worship gathering, or it might be when we meet somebody new and we're like, oh my gosh, like, how do you have such similar interests to me? Like you and I, Jared, like we have so many overlapping interests and we just met like an hour ago, <laughs> like to feel that hum, like cultures have tried to describe that feeling, that experience, you know, for millennia. And, and so to then say, well, this hum, this God, we name it all these different things, then it often fits within the culture and already the institutions that are there. And so that's where we often see religions come out. We see practices come out. Uh, and so for me, it's been hard to then say, well, this is right and this is wrong, as much as we're all doing our best to describe this hum. Absolutely. And I, th I think I, I love your description of that with the hum. And we talk about being in flow state, you know, and I think that we, we see, yeah, I, I'm a musician and creative and, you know, and, and, I see the world kind of as this poem, you know, as this beautiful work of art. And I think that, you know, I want to live my life deliberately, you know, to as as a work of art. And I think that um, it was Heschel, by the way, uh, Rabbi um, mm. Heschel, that, that talks about living your life as a work of art and realizing that there 
uh, it's an opportunity that we have. It's a choice that we make. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think that there, we have to ask ourselves in these moments, uh, what the big questions, who are we, you know, why are we here? And you, you know, the, the rabbi, the Akiva rabbi story, mm-hmm. where, I mean, I love that, that, that question of who are you and that we, when we, when it gets to our faith, you know, what, what do we believe in? When it gets to the practices around that, do we go to church? Do we not go to church? And what does that mean? Should I feel guilty? Uh, and, and, and then, you know, on into other lifestyle aspects in, in terms of how you manage your time and so on. We have to ask those questions and say, do, does this process, your church or whatever, does it get me there? Where I, you know, does it connect with my grand vision? And, you know, I'm a brand developer by trade. So I'm always looking at the essence of things. I'm looking at the perspective uh, that, that causes things. I'm looking at human behavior. I'm looking at motivations and fears and so on. Anytime that we're creating a brand or a campaign or something like that, whether it be for a private business or for a civil society, it doesn't really matter. It's still human behavior. How do we tap into that? And we have to step back and ask, you know, if my goal is to, for instance, emulate the example of the way and the life of Jesus or to follow kind of the, uh, the, the path that was articulated in terms of the way of living through the Tao Te Ching and so on and so on, then we have to say, okay, well, what is this all about? And does this kind of, you know, is this congruent with that? And then we kind of mold our lives around that. And I think that is a example of the importance of understanding individual paths and understanding that we're all on a journey. And as the Lakota would say, we're on the red road and it can be tumultuous, but it can also lead to a very fulfilling life as opposed to kind of the more disconnected life that we could live on the quote unquote black road that may be a little bit easier from time to time, but it's not necessarily fulfilling and it's kind of always leaving us feeling empty. Anyway, that, that, that journey in, in our faith, um, it leads us then to, to asking, what are, you know, what are the practices that are going to help keep me rooted in this? What, what are your practices that you have for that? Well, I think that I, I'm, way, I'm way less, how can I say this? I guess I, I don't have set practices because I feel like in the past, it's been that those practices, you know, being raised Catholic, it was like, if I didn't do the rosary enough, if I didn't do this, then guilt followed. And so it's an ongoing question of what what is giving me more presence with my family and friends? What is filling me up? And so some of the things that I do regularly uh, is, you know, we turn off social media on the weekend. We don't do business things on the weekend. But I'd say it's less here's the practice that I'm doing and more saying what's the the lifestyle questions I want to ask myself. And so every weekend asking myself, how do I make this a weekend that my daughters really enjoy, where we feel connection, uh, where they're not just stuck in the house. And if they're stuck in the house, it's intentional that we're going to stay in our jammies all day long because we just need a break because it's been busy. So for me, it's less about um, set formed practices and more, it's the question of where are we headed, I think is how I would frame it. And so I would say most days I, in one way or another, it's not even like through a journal or some pop-up on my phone. I ask myself, where am I headed today? What am I doing today? Like, what is this life about today? So today 
For example, I'm doing some podcast interviews and meeting with some consulting clients that are rocking out private practice. So I want them to feel that I'm present. I want them to feel that um, they're growing, that they're doing it within their own impact on the world. I have private practice clients tonight. So looking at each day and saying, what can I do to improve the values that I stand for, I guess would be some of the presence that I do or practices that I do on a regular basis. We also do campfires a couple times a month. <laughs> we have our friends over almost every week to play board games and to connect. Um, it, and so it's, it's not your kind of traditional, like here's my list of practices that you have to do to feel enlightened. Well, it sounds like you have a very good kind of uh, systems of checks and balances and of keeping yourself in check and asking yourself those big questions and saying, okay, am I on track for what, mm -hmm. what is going to, you know, further align me with the things that I believe in and the things that I believe are important. And, and I think that's a very important dynamic of a very conscious, deliberate lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I think I frequently ask myself, am I here? Like, am I right here? Mm -hmm. Am I here talking to you, Jared? Or am I thinking about what I'm doing later today? Yeah. Uh, you know, even when I go out to lunch with friends, unless I know that something's happening in my family where I have to have my phone on, I'll just put it in airplane mode. It's like if people can be on an airplane for an hour, I can turn it off for 45 minutes for lunch with my friend. Uh, so really asking myself, am I present? Am I here? Am I doing the thing that right now matters most? And if not, then I need to ask myself, like, why am I wasting my time on a podcast interview if I'm thinking about other things? Like I shouldn't be here if I'm not here. And if I am yeah. here, I should be here. <laughs> so that's, I think, one kind of mindset that I try to, you know, I don't always do it. Um, my daughters and my wife would say differently often, you know, but <laughs> um, but I think that's a good gauge where you have to have those checks and balances with people that you trust to help you know if you're here. Absolutely. Uh, and I love, by the way, speaking of Rob Bell, his, his uh, how to be here was yeah. beautiful. I, I, I love how he framed all that. And I feel... I could feel Rob's liberation in that book <laughs> yeah, of, of kind of being free of some of his chains and so on and, and really just uh, throwing it all out there in terms of what he believes. And, and I, I think that being here, being present, that we can't connect with our highest self, with that Christ consciousness. Uh, we can't be fully grateful until we have the ability to pause, to appreciate stillness, Mm -hmm. and to kind of take in what's around us. I do this with my daughter every night. We do our gratitude prayer. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's some kind of Lakota stuff that's built into that discussion or whatever. And she's, you know, she's on a mission to be a good Indian scout. That's her, her dream. Mm -hmm. And But we, we go through these things of gratitude throughout the day or that, that we experience throughout the day of how the grass feels on our bare feet, of how... Mm -hmm the the birds look and they paint pictures in the sky and we talk about the planets and we talk about you know uh, she's used to me running inside at, from from outside at night and saying hey baby come here come come look venus is so bright right now and she knows exactly where to look in the sky yeah she's four yeah. you know and she knows <clears throat> oh and daddy over there that's where jupiter is going to come up right like and she's four you know so i, I appreciate right. that and it's just that we're raising children that you know, will or will not be conscious, you know, and, and, and awake to the, all of these things. They will or will not be kind of, or, or, or I, I shouldn't say that, we will or will not influence them in a way that might inspire them to be aware and to be grateful and to, yeah, to be present. And I think that it is kind of like 
we we are we have to become aware and be diligent about that. That's a deliberate practice in and of itself, and 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 mm-hmm. staying in tune, and then to le- let ourselves be grateful for these things. And then yeah. I think at that moment, we kind of settle into that presence, and we're there, mm-hmm. and we have the ability to to connect with a human, and to make sure that our cell phone is in our pocket or on airplane mode, even better, and that we make eye contact, which can be uncomfortable at times. Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. so beautiful when you do it, and I I push myself to do it more and more these days because I feel like the person on the other side of the table from me or whatever the conversation has this different kind of experience with me because I'm being intentional about locking in my gaze and it, and it, and it says mm-hmm. I am here. I am yeah. not doing my checklist on Evernote on my phone, you know, somewhere else, even if it's not visible, <laughs> you know, sometimes doing it subconsciously, but I'm here, I'm connecting with you. I value you. I value this moment. That's a beautiful, beautiful way to live. Mm-hmm. Well, it was like yesterday we were at parent teacher conferences for our kindergartner. And, you know, at first they're talking about, here's the things that are going well with reading and here's what can improve. And it's like, you know, you never want to hear improvements, but then the teacher said to us, and it's this great nature based experiential kind of approach to school. Um, she said, you know, but if anyone ever gets hurt or is bumming or is having a rough day, your daughter is always the first one over there to tell them what they're doing right, to tell them like that she's there. And it was just one of those moments where it's like, that's the kid I want to raise. Like I, I want her to be a great reader. I know she's smart, but like to say she's got the social skills down and she's got the compassion down. Like we don't have to worry about that. I was like, man, like that's what we need more of. And so to hear those kind of things, for as a parent, you're just like, yes, she can identify Jupiter. She can like have <laughs> compassion. Like these things that yeah. you, you value uh, are just so important uh, when you're raising your kids. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit. I, I know you're engaging in some sort of alternative forms of education with your children, and that seems very congruent with all the other deliberate aspects of your life. Talk a little bit about that, because I think that raising these conscious children is that's where we that that's our path to a peaceful planet. Yeah. So it it all goes back to, I was in the Boy Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout and had tons of time backpacking outdoors during my teen years when a lot of people were inside playing video games and doing other stuff. And for me, that was a really healthy thing. I know it's not a fit for everybody, but uh, to be able to save money and go scuba diving in high school and to be able to do these things was kind of my starting point. So then throughout college and early adulthood, my wife, she was an outdoor rec major. Uh, We valued the outdoors tremendously. Uh, We found this book uh, that we were on a six-week road trip out west going to national parks and visiting friends when I was between jobs. And it was called Last Child in the Woods. It's this amazing book uh, where he walks through how our society is creating an indoor environment and making people fearful of outdoors. And so he talked about a lot about like stranger danger, for example. So that is a total myth that was perpetuated in the eighties. The national Institute for missing and exploited children has said that it's a myth that abductions are more likely to happen with close family members or friends. And so these things that were like, don't talk to strangers, like don't go outside. Don't, you can get hurt because of all these different things has made it so that we have fewer and fewer kids that are outside. And so this book really helped us see how people were living lives in a way that kind of pushed back against that, which was something we really valued. 
Um, and so like there's this playground out in California where t- kids will go through this whole kind of safety exercise. How do you use a, a handsaw? How do you use nails? How do you use screwdrivers? Um, all these things that you usually wouldn't give a seven year old, but these kids go through this training and then they see this wall of tools and they realize that they can touch them, that it's not, you know, their dads that they can't touch. And there's these piles of boards and tires and they cut them up and they make structures and all sorts of things that are amazing. So it's this moving playground of forts. And so people that are doing really interesting things like that, um, to me, that's, that's compelling to me because, I didn't have that going to a private school for 13 years that, you know, I had to go to church multiple times a week and I got a great education. I was very prepared when I went to college, but the inspiration in life happened outside of school. And the idea of thinking, holy cow, what if inspiration happened in school as well as outside of school or at home school, or that it was a curriculum that the inspiration could be throughout that school wasn't something to be endured. And that's why we were attracted to Pathfinder. Uh, that's the name of the school here in Traverse City, where it's all these old cabins that uh, this family donated. And so they probably have 12 or 13 of these cabins. Kids have their classroom in the cabins, and then they go outside and make things and do all sorts of things. Uh, like right now, they're, each classroom is studying a different country. And so Scotland has been like our whole family's life for the last two months, but they'll build like this three dimensional, three dimensional Highland. And then they'll like plant grass seed to see if it grows to make it look like the Highlands. And then they'll have a bagpiper come in and then they'll like count the number of coins that equal, you know, things within the Scottish currency. And it's just, they weave learning into a theme that my daughter loves it. Like she runs to the classroom and she gets muddy. And to me, that that's what I want in a school. If I'm going to have somebody else help raise my child through education. That's beautiful. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in the school, by the way. I mean, we've got a four year old. that's just about to, to get into that, uh, that age bracket of going to they school. They have summer camps. You guys should come up for a week this summer. Hey, I'm, I'm into it. It sounds like the whole school is a summer camp, which I also appreciate. I mean, we're, we're in the midst of building uh, a bigger project for an EP radio is the voice of that project. And we'll be revealing more of that soon, but it's very much in line with what you're talking about and having kind of this experiential education and mm-hmm. awareness and, 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 and again, with a very, a uh, big focus on consciousness and, and why are we all here and what does this all mean and how can we live more deliberately and what does that mean? And we talk a lot about, you know, the, the slogan for the company is align with love. And we talk mm-hmm. about that love, that ineffable force that we call love that intermingles with that same ineffable force, I think, that we call God. And that we, we have the ability to align with that and to experience a more harmonious life and lifestyle. Uh, and, and I think that the more that we do that, the more we start to see a lot of the world's problems sort of work themselves out organically because mm-hmm. they're no longer part of our priorities and values. I think it's our priorities and values that kind of, you know, if we value, for instance, what Kim Kardashian's wearing tonight <laughs> over a connection with our child, then we, we have a problem there and we, we come right. out, out of alignment with how we were created. So we have to realign our perspectives. And that's really what a lot of what we're doing here is about, is to help people realign their perspectives with love, with uh, yeah. nature, humanity, you know, spirit. And as we do that, I think that as a humanitarian, as a philanthropist, an activist and whatever, that's the way that I want to contribute to helping the world to heal, to, to creating yeah. a, a more peaceful and, and harmonious world. 
What's what's so cool is that it it doesn't take much time to shift the brain. The brain re- research is really mm-hmm. clear on how the brain can adapt and change and have neuroplasticity. I launched this program a number of years ago where we took kids from foster care out sailing and then did therapy on the sailboat for five days. So it was a day program. We'd sail, we'd do therapy. And in that one-week intervention, we saw an 80% drop in psychological symptoms in both intensity and frequency. I mean, if you got those that data over a six-month program, that would be stellar. But to have that in a one-week program was incredible. And one of the reasons was, imagine these kids that are in foster care. They're on this sailboat that is so big that one kid can't do the whole thing. It takes three kids to raise the mainsail. Someone's got to be steering. You got to have someone looking at the wind and for other boats. So it genuinely is a forced teamwork experience. Uh, And each day they're given more and more responsibility so that by the Friday of that week, they can run this entire boat on their own. So I remember this one girl who had been through severe neglect, severe abuse. She was finally with a, a parent that adopted her. Um, had had no control in her life. And on that final day, her probation officer, her foster care worker, her adoptive mom, all the parents and everyone were there for pickup. And she steers this two-ton boat in and docks it perfectly. I mean, for a kid that's never had control in their life to be able to do that, like that's a new neural pathway that just was formed through an experience. And you think about any times that we learn something, whether it's burning your finger, getting a parking ticket, whatever, it's usually experiences that teach us more than some checklist or some book we read that we we may read something that makes us do something. But when we do that something, that's the thing that really teaches us through that experience. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah. And it, it is experiential learning, I think, that impacts. I can't remember a thing I learned in, in, in grade <laughs> school in terms of, you know, academics. But I remember moments. I remember interesting interactions with humans and so mm-hmm. on. You know, th- I, I use this uh, quote from Maya Angelou, uh, you know, um, amazing as she was uh, and certainly a big influence on my life. I use it in branding. I use it in relationship discussions. I lose it, use it in life coaching <laughs> moments. Yeah. And she, she said, you know, p- the people, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but people will forget the things that you say and they'll forget the things that you do, but people will always remember the way that you made them feel. And, mm-hmm. I, and that is so important. I mean, the, the way that we feel about something. I mean, I, I may forget the conversation exactly, the points and so on, but I may, I'll remember this interaction, even this interaction mm-hmm. that you and I are having. Like, it's, yeah. like it, it, there's a feeling about it that feels authentic and it feels connected mm-hmm. and it feels like uh, it, it kind of reminds me of our innate interconnectedness that is so yeah. vital. Like if we, if we embrace, we can't do anything to make ourselves more interconnected. It's there. <laughs> right, but right. what we can do is choose to live lifestyles that give reverence to that interconnectedness. And I think that's mm-hmm. a lot of what living this deliberate conscious lifestyle is about. Well, and we know that evolution has done that to our brains in a way that we crave what we're doing. So we're looking at a screen, which is sort of like a fire, Um, We're having a conversation and telling stories. So for thousands and thousands of years, people have got around a fire and told stories. And we know that the brain has done what's called neuromirroring. So if I tell that story about the foster care kids, the parts of my brain as I tell you that story that light up are the same parts of your brain that light up despite us being thousands of miles away from each other. And so the power of story oftentimes is that it can tap into our emotions uh, and that it can teach us in ways that just here's what I want you to learn or, you know, saying just general things that a story taps into the way that our brains have evolved Um, because the people that could learn 
hey, you know, if you climb a tree when a rhino is running after you, you're more likely to survive than trying to outrun it. Let me tell you why. Because Frank and I were just out there in the jungle. I climbed up a tree and he didn't. And I came back to tell the story. And Frank is dead from the rhino. <laughs> um, like So I, I like to think of people from days of your name, Frank. I think that'd be that's fun. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I think that, and that's where, whether it's business, whether it's teaching our kids, whether it's you know the way we speak and we do keynotes, story is one of those things that it's so hot right now in the business world, but it works because it can teach us in ways to help us feel that even if we weren't there. Important to me. And I'm, there've been so many stories throughout my life that have impacted my life, stories that I've come into contact with, whether it be, you know, a story of like Wayne Dyer's life, you know, that was very inspiring to me. And he was a big guru in my life and still is. Uh, what are the, some of the stories or a story or even a, a piece of work, a, a book or a film or some big impact in your life that you've kind of that has influenced your perspective? You know, I wouldn't have guessed it. I, I thought it was just something I played with when I was a kid. But like Star Wars, I mean, it it taps into such a deep story of humanity. There's I mean, so much it, more it, there than what people give it oh credit for. Oh my gosh. For. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's the classic like hero's journey where, you know, you've got a guide and, you know, he goes off and he faces death and thinking about that through a new light as someone that's now a consultant to people. Uh, Donald Miller has the story brand podcast where he routinely talks about how you know, the successful businesses are those that set themselves up as the guide, not the hero. I love it. Um, because I feel like when I heard him first say that, just like with Last Child in the Woods, it was one of those moments where it's like, I already felt that, but I didn't say it that way. So it just resonated with me. So for me, Star Wars, and then even just thinking about this whole hum theory thing we were talking about, like the force that's all around us, like this hum yeah. of the universe, uh, it just keeps creeping in. I, I mean, I think about that all the time with, I mean, Hollywood, I, I <laughs> for all of its uh, issues that it's inflicted on the world and from a negative standpoint, there's also been just these absolute profound moments of beauty in film. And I think that Star, my, my wife and I, in a very odd instance, were able to go see a movie the other day. My parents watched the kids. That was very nice. Nice. Uh, and we went and we actually went and saw Star Wars, Rogue One, or the Rogue One, oh, the, the newest one. Oh, that's so good. What did you think? Still, it was like three weeks ago. It's still like every day. I'm like, oh my god, and that's what that meant. <laughs> and, I know, and I love the story. Oh, yeah. So good. By the way, I have to plug uh, Interstellar is, is certainly on the top of my list of mm, absolutely. I just saw amazing. that like a month ago. I oh, had never wow. seen it. Oh my gosh, so good. Uh, uh, rocked my world. I've seen it three times now, and we'll probably continue to 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 go deeper into it. But that film was just a. It, for me, it was a way of of explaining time in a way that I was not able to articulate. And there it was. And I was like, oh my God, here it is. Here's the explanation I've been looking for. It's so eloquently crafted by, you know, by Christopher Nolan and, and, um, and Kip Thorne, who, you know, scientist that, uh, that astrophysicist and so on that I've followed for, for many years. He's sort of yeah. extrapolated out from the uh, Einstein theory of relativity. And I love that. And it was so brilliantly articulated there. And I think that it, it's a medium that it relays stories so well, obviously. And, and yeah. Don, Donald Miller is certainly a big proponent of that. And I'm a big fan of his sure. as well. Another I've also really been into uh, Black Mirror recently um, on Netflix, which it's it's interesting because I don't, I don't know if you've seen it, but there are these yet. standalone episodes similar to like Twilight Zone where you they don't all connect. Hmm. Um, but it's sort of like 
five to 10 years in the future. So there's this really interesting technology that they weave in that they just come up with things. But every episode, some of them are kind of graphic in regards to like blood and stuff. And I'm not really into like horror type things, but there's always this greater message that's a commentary on the way we use technology now uh, that it just always comes together in a way that you just don't see coming. So I've been super into Black Mirror because it makes me think for so long afterward. Interesting. I just put it on my list. Um, I can't get out of this conversation without asking if you've seen Arrival. I haven't seen Arrival. Oh, my God. Go see it. <laughs> okay. is, that, is that a recent film? Or it's, it, like... just came, it just left the theater, actually. So I, okay. I, I, I would imagine it'll come out in some form okay. shortly that you can watch it. But it uh, really, honestly, it was about communication. And it's about mm-hmm. how we communicate as a society. Uh, it, it's it's under kind of the allegory of this alien invasion kind of thing. Oh, or, yeah. Or, or, okay. or visiting. Yeah. I shouldn't say invasion. Uh, yeah. It was just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. In, the same, in a very similar sense, I had a very similar feeling when I left the, the theater as I did from, from seeing Interstellar. Because it was just this beautiful, deep, deep, deep human experience about how we connect and how we are interconnected to everything and everyone. And I mean, I'm a fan of, you know, Carl Sagan's uh, positing that we are all stardust. We're all star stuff is what he said. and. And I tell my daughter that I call her Stardust, and and I say that, that we are, which by the way was in the film uh, Star Wars, uh-huh. yep. <laughs> amazing, uh, and and I I love that perspective of just realizing that we all that is kind of a uh, it's a beautiful way to articulate our interconnectedness is to realize mm-hmm. that we do in fact come from the same materials as the, right. as the stars and and our energy is always swapping too. I yes. mean, it's just one of those things where the more you dive into the science, the more the individualistic view of the world just doesn't stand up. That, that no matter how much you want to think that you're your own autonomous, independent person, mm-hmm. that you're just not. And I mean, people can debate that in Congress or wherever, but <laughs> the science yeah. just doesn't, I mean, it, it just doesn't hold up that you're this independent being that's not connected to this greater hum of the universe. I agree. Absolutely. Well, let's. Uh, I want to kind of bring us to a close here. We've had an amazing interview. I, r- I really have appreciated this, <laughs> and uh, I, th- I think there's more to come as well. But let me ask you a couple little questions. <laughs> uh, what is the? You're a deliberate man. <laughs> we've we've covered that, <laughs> in, in terms of how you want to live and and kind of the impact that you want to make. If you were to sort of encapsulate that impact that you desire to to have over anyone that you come into contact from your influence. Yeah, I think for me, it comes down to that they can change their life for the positive, that they can increase their income, their influence and their impact on the world in a positive way. Uh, For a long time, I thought that if you made more money, all of a sudden you were like a Scrooge McDuck. Um, But you don't have to be. You can make money and really help the world in a positive way. We need more awesome like heart-centered millionaires out there or billionaires. Like imagine if the people in power had huge hearts and so I hope they feel inspired to go after their big ideas because I think most people sell themselves short. I would hope that they would feel inspired to uh, create something new because we need new things that solve the new and changing problems of the world. Uh, and I would hope that they would feel inspired to uh, create the kind of life that they want to have with the purpose of bettering the world. If you just create a life of luxury, like that's, that's not where I want to spend my time. But if you're looking at how you can do that in a way that genuinely improves the world, like do it, fix what's broken. 
Absolutely. Well, that's beautiful. Well, g- give us one last little piece of advice that you would want to leave with our audience uh, to help them do what you've just articulated. Yeah, probably the best thing that they can do is I have a three-part video series that's going to walk them through exactly how to slow down to spark innovation. So that would be a great, I mean, it's totally free. Um, these great video designers from LA did it with me. It's just at practiceofthepractice.com forward slash slow down video. Um, that would be a great practical way to start to set and achieve goals while also slowing down. Uh, also, I'm hosting a conference next summer called Slowdown School. So you can read more about that at slowdownschool.com, where we're going to be slowing down as a community of people to spark innovation and then grow their businesses. But with the purpose of it being based on let's slow down first so that we know exactly where to focus. That's absolutely beautiful. And I will definitely put those uh, put that information in the show notes for everyone. And I'll be checking it out personally as well. Yeah. And well, Jamie I, J is coming. He's one of our sponsors. So oh, you guys perfect. can travel together. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well, this this has been amazing. And, and I think that maybe this is an intro. Uh, I, I, think, I love it. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I, think that, I think there's plenty of more... Uh, I don't know. There's so much more space I'd love to, to talk about with you and to, to, like to cover some of these deeper issues now that we've had a good intro. So we'll, we'll get into that, but thank you. Part one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and, uh, and just for being deliberate and for doing what you do with intentionality and with care and grace. And I see that in what you're doing and, and, and even in just our brief interaction together. And I always love it when I have the opportunity to meet someone that's living that way and, and, and really living out what they, what they believe. So thank you for that. Yeah, this has been awesome. I can't wait to see where this podcast goes. Hey, me too. Thank you so much. And thank you, Inipi audience, for holding a space for love and freedom today. If you appreciate the Inipi ethos, I hope you'll share it and spread it around uh, with those that that you love. And also, rate and review us makes a big difference, and we appreciate it. Uh, Until next time, I wish you peace on your journey. May you align with love and let your life speak. Mitakuye Oyasu.